0: The left and journalists, which is to say the left, which is to say journalists, are outraged at the miscarriage of justice that has brought justice to Michael Flynn. Flynn, you'll remember, is the retired lieutenant general who confessed to lying to the FBI after FBI agents held him off the edge of the building and said, confess to lying to the FBI. New documents reveal that former President Barack Obama and former FBI Director James Comey conceived of this daring plan in hopes Flynn could be accused of violating the Logan Act, a law passed in 1799. Only two people have ever been indicted under the act, one in 1802 and one in 1852, both of them at the suggestion of Barack Obama and James Comey. Now, to understand why the Obama administration's dealings with Flynn were so corrupt, you have to understand that Hillary Clinton hired Christopher Steele to collude with Vladimir Putin to give disinformation to John Brennan, who gave it to James Comey, who decided that Donald Trump was colluding with Vladimir Putin like Christopher Steele, who'd been hired by Hillary Clinton. And since you can't possibly understand that, the left is screaming about a miscarriage of justice in the hopes that you'll believe them because you're ignorant and confused. In a speech given before donning a fake mustache and buying a one-way ticket to Caracas, Barack Obama said, quote, it is a dangerous threat to the rule of law to expose the fact that I'm a dangerous threat to the rule of law, unquote. The New York Times, a former newspaper, editorialized, quote, Attorney General William Barr has perverted the Department of Justice by turning it into a department that seeks justice, unquote. And CNN's Brian Stelter complained, quote, conservatives are seizing on the lies we told about Russian collusion to distract America from the lies we're telling about the Chinese flu, unquote. Stelter then retired to bed for a good cry, saying it was all too much for him, especially at this particular time of the month. I have no idea what he meant by that. Trigger. <laughs> I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Klavan Show. Life is giddy. boo birds are winging, also singing, hunky giddy doo ship-shaped, dipsy topsy the world is a zing it's a wonderful day, hoorah, hooray, it makes me want to sing, oh, hurrah, hooray, hooray, oh, hooray. All right. We are back for a new week. And I, you know, I get asked all the time if we ever look at the comments that we get and we do, and we will capture them off YouTube. We'll bring a couple on here. If they are worth hearing, we have one here today from John Frost. It says, God save the, come on, man, you know, the thing with no ease. (laughs) I just want, I want to thank John for that because I I have a lot of faith in, you know, the thing. All right. Bill Maher did one of his new rule routines the other day that was heartfelt and witty in which he said what everyone knows, we have to reopen the country, taking care of vulnerable people and, of course, always being especially committed to the policy of Save the Clavin. Though he didn't mention me by name for some reason. Here's a little bit of what Maher said. You hear people say COVID-19 is a new virus, so the immune system doesn't know how to handle it. Of course it does. That's why the vast majority of people who have had it, either recovered or didn't even know they had it. What do you think did that? The human immune system. Now, there are people with immune systems that can't do the job, and we should make it a priority to protect those people. But compulsively washing, being scared of your own hands, that can't become the new normal. If you're just uh, listening to this, it, there was a chiron underneath him when he said it said save the clavin specifically. Now, I've said repeatedly, I disagree with Mar about a lot of things, God and socialism come to mind immediately, but I've never ceased respecting him because he allows all sides to speak and he's not afraid of the occasional uncomfortable truth like ism, Islam is not the religion of peace and political correctness is not politically correct. When I listen to Marr, it's not that I hear a conservative talking exactly, but I hear someone who would be welcome in a conversation with conservatives. He calls us names and he's snarky. He's a comedian. That's his thing. But when it comes to ideas and policies, we could talk. We might even be able to agree on a couple of things. Last week, we had my pal Dave Rubin on, and when he started, he found that when he started talking to conservatives, he was stunned at how welcoming conservatives were to a gay guy who supports abortion, even conservatives who think homosexuality and or abortion are very bad. Compare that to the leftist gays who attacked Samaritan's Purse during their charity medical work in New York. We're always willing to talk and debate because our ideas are based on logic as opposed to hysteria. The question I asked Dave, and I think this is the question we all have to be asking ourselves, is what is this movement, this conservative movement that can have both a Ben Shapiro and a Dave Rubin in it, that includes Sora Bamari with his call for more morality in law, and David French with his insistence that libertarianism will keep morality alive? A movement. The conservative movement that includes Trump lovers and wary Trump supporters and even some Trump haters like French and Jonah Goldberg, who, unlike Trump haters like Max Boot and Bill Kristol, remain true conservatives despite their dislike of the president. As I said from the moment Trump won the election, we are in a world of zero gravity right now where the philosophical furniture is floating around the room and we haven't quite figured out where it's all going to land. That's not a bad thing. That's a sign that times have changed and our perspective on our unchanging principles has to change as well. The principles stay the same, but the way we look at them and approach them, that's different. It's the reason why I feel that the politics of outrage and accusation are kind of a trap right now. It's fine to be outraged about what's outrageous and accuse the accusable, but we also need to listen to those who will listen and speak to those who will hear and form the coalition that will chase the anti-freedom, anti-American left and their media into the sea where they belong. All right, let us talk about Raycon earbuds. I love these things. They are so much better than the ones that everybody wears. They don't make you look like an insect, which really annoys me. Plus, they have this muffle sound, so you get a really, really clear sound. They don't look bad, and they have adjustable... uh, The part that goes into your ear is adjustable. They have different ones that you can put on, which for me is important because a lot of the products from our other friends uh, fall out because my ears are shaped in a certain way. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are their best ones yet. Six hours of playtime seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice noise-isolating fit. Raycon's wireless earbuds are so comfortable. They're perfect for conference calls or binging podcasts. I use them to listen to my audiobooks uh, when I'm hiking because they stay and they fit. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash clavin. That's buyraycon.com slash clavin for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash clavin they also have this feature where you tap them and they will tell you how you spell clavin it's it actually sings that into your ear no it doesn't so i don't usually do this but i want to play a clip of me in september this is a clip of this show in september nine months ago this is after that stupid ukraine phone call that they actually impeached donald trump for and i could not believe we were even talking about it and this is what i said this is cut to that's the way they covered all of them. Obama, not the Fast and Furious scandal, not the IRS scandal, not the scandal now that they're not covering of Obama's obvious, the obvious malfeasance among his uh, intelligence operations, which, according to Andy McCarthy, Obama had to know about. He had to know they were doing this. He had to know this was a setup. Uh, this is a, this is a tremendous scandal, a tremendous threat to our polity, a tre- tremendous threat to our freedom. Nothing. Nothing. Trump said to to, uh, the Ukrainian president is a threat to your freedom. Nothing is going to take anything out of your pocket. Nothing is going to make it harder for you to speak politically like the IRS scandal did. So... (laughs) <laughs> I always tell you, you get tomorrow's news today, right? And that's nine months ago. Not only that, when they appointed Mueller in, in uh, 2017, I think, when they appointed Mueller a special counsel, I said, this is the first big mistake of the Trump administration. This is absurd. It's just going to drag this out. Now we know that Mueller was only appointed to hide and rationalize What the Obama administration had done, what the FBI had done, the FBI had made a terrible mistake. They had blown up this Trump-Russian collusion thing. It was obviously going to blow up in their face. So they sent Mueller in to stretch it out. And that's why they went after Michael Flynn. They went after Michael Flynn to to say, oh, no, this isn't a nothing burger. Look, we just we just convicted Michael Flynn. Now the Justice Department has thrown this out. Why do I know these things? Okay, no, obviously nobody really knows the future. But why do I hit these things? It's because I'm paying attention to the one thing that matters about every news story, How the story is told and the fact that the story is told. Why are they talking about Ukraine? Why are they talking about this stupid phone call instead of talking about Obamagate? Everything you, every, all the information you get is, comes to you through narrative distortion. And that's what I'm trying to talk about. And I think we, the right, get fooled by it all the time. And I'll show you how. All right. Let us uh, talk a little bit about this Flynn thing. Right. We now know that in in January, Obama called. This is right after the election. Right. Trump is now one. Trump calls in uh, Sally uh, Yates, who was the then uh, head of the Justice Department and James Comey. And they sit down together and Yates doesn't even know what's going on. She testified later. She didn't know what's going on. But clearly, Obama and James Comey knew that they had got this tape of, uh, of Michael Flynn talking to the Russian ambassador, uh, Kislyak. And they started talking about this and they started talking about the Logan act, which is seriously, there have been two people indicted under this unconstitutional act passed under John Adams. Neither of them, of course, was ever convicted. And this goes back into the 1800s. And so they're obviously out to get this guy. They're out to get this combat veteran, Lieutenant general. Uh, and, and he's, and, Everybody says what he's doing is totally legal. They go in and they question him. The FBI guys come back and say he wasn't lying. Uh, Strzok, Peter Strzok, who we now know is this anti, uh, Trump conspirator, says, well, don't close this case. Don't close this case. He rewrites the interview things. I mean, this is genuine corruption and Obama knew about it all. So let's talk about how it was covered. It covered. Here's the coverage, a little montage from Grabian of the coverage over this time. It's cut three you know there are all kinds of conspiracy theories about how he was entrapped the fbi agents didn't do anything wrong here so i think that's important because there are a lot of sort of uh, conspiracy theories the, they all work together and you know the fox news people in the white house fuel these sort of rumors. Do they send these around with fax machines? They come up with these conspiracy theories and they send them around on fax machines. They should just knock it off and realize that their ridiculous conspiracy theories are going to be knocked down. Stop! Stop with the conspiracy theories. So I think that loud sound you heard at about 12:30 Eastern was the sound of 10,000 conspiracy theories by the Trump defenders exploding. The sound you hear is a million conspiracy theories exploding. I could call them the trumpets. All over the country, their heads were blown up. Here's another conspiracy theory that has been blown to bits. Trump talking points and right-wing media conspiracies demolished. Ever met someone who was so extremely dumb that they don't know how (laughs) stupid they actually are? So now their conspiracy theory that this was a conspiracy theory, and conspiracy theory, by the way, is a phrase that was invented by the CIA for disinformation so they're using this and now their their conspiracy theory that it was a conspiracy theory has been demolished here's Brian stelter complaining about this, this is a cut 14. It's so disappointing to look at what we're seeing from right-wing media these days, where there's such an obsession with the deep state and these uh, revelations about the Russia probe and uh, the decision about Michael Flynn. They're treating the Michael Flynn story like it's a bigger deal than the deaths of 2,000 Americans a day. When when the president called into Fox & Friends the other morning, Friday morning, right before the unemployment rate numbers came out, he talked about the Flynn case uh, for 20 minutes before he was asked about the pandemic. In what right mind is any scandal, any political scandal, any department of justice story more important to ask the president about than the pandemic that's raging? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so, so in other words it's like it's like don't interrupt us when we're lying about the chinese flu to tell us we were lying about russia that was yesterday's lie don't we don't be bringing up yesterday's lie we're on today's lie now you do not want to interrupt me lying now with my lies from yesterday and listen i i go after brian stelter i don't usually like to go after a, a woman at this time of the month and all this we like to have a little class and respect we understand it's you know it's it's a normal thing but the hormones are just getting a little crazy now <laughs> Obama, your hero. <laughs> Stop, Brian. Stop, boy. Go back into the battle. <laughs> All right. Obama. Now, Obama, who we remember from his no scandal, uh, you know, administration that we heard was no scandal, scandal-free. It was scandal-free, scandal-free. It was scandal-free on every network, every channel, except Fox News. That evil. Oh, I hate those Fox News. Who didn't say it was scandal-free? Obama now has a phone conference with 3,000 of his acolytes, and somehow, in some amazing way, this gets leaked to the press. And here's his comment about Flynn, who he and Comey set up. There is no precedent that anybody can find for uh, someone who's been with perjury uh, just getting off scot-free. Uh, that's the kind of stuff where you, you begin to, uh, get worried that basic, not just institutional norms, but, uh, our, our basic understanding of, of, of law, uh, is, is, uh, is, uh, is a risk. Why the f- are you lying? Why, Why are you always lying? <laughs> So first of all, it wasn't perjury. Remember Obama's a lawyer. He went to Harvard, the news it's perjury. It wasn't perjury. He was lying. He was uh, confessed to lying to the FBI after they squeezed him saying they were going to prosecute his son. When even the people who interviewed him said he wasn't lying. So they basically bullied him into confessing to lying. When he obviously made a mistake, he was, thought he was talking to pals and maybe he didn't feel they They went in there and said, it's just a, you don't need a lawyer. There's just a conversation among friends. It, It was, uh, It was so it was a misstatement to the FBI. Second of all, Bill Clinton committed perjury, provably committed perjury. He got off scot-free just days before leaving office. Obama pardoned retired Marine Corps General James Cartwright, who pleaded guilty to charges of lying to the FBI. Cartwright had leaked classified information regarding Iran's nuclear program to the media and lied to the FBI officials investigating those leaks. He was Obama's favorite general. He was pardoned. That's from uh, PJ Media. So every word out of his mouth that just got leaked to the press, which reported it as if it just fell out of a tree and had no uh, antecedent. It had no buddy. We didn't know anything about the guy who was talking about it. Every word that he said in that clip is deceptive. It wasn't perjury. Other people have gotten off. He got off a general in a very, very similar situation. Unbelievable that this guy continues to be just a trusted source. It's a trusted news source. Speaking of trusted sources, let's go to our old friend, Chuck Todd, who was talking to our true friend, Peggy Noonan, about an interview that Catherine Herridge did with Bill Barr, the uh, attorney general. Right. Here is the cut 15. Here's Chuck Todd playing a clip from that interview. I want you to listen to this Bill Barr answer to a question about what will history say about this? Wait do you hear this answer. Take a listen. When history looks back on this decision. How do you think it will be written? Well, history is written by the winner, so it largely depends on on <laughs> uh, who's writing the history. I was struck, Peggy, by the cynicism of the answer. It's a correct answer, but he's the attorney general. He didn't make the case that he was upholding the rule of law. He was almost admitting that, yeah, this is a this is a political job. You're a line dog-faced pony soldier. <laughs> All right, so he didn't make the case that he was upholding the rule of law and he was just saying it was a cynical political job. Let's listen to what Barr really said to Catherine Herridge. Cut four. Are you doing the president's bidding in General Flynn's case? No, I'm doing the law's bidding. Uh, I'm doing my duty under the law as I see it. When history looks back on this decision... How do you think it will be written? Well, history is written by the winner, so it largely depends on on (laughs) uh, who's writing the history. But I think a fair history would say it was a a good decision because it it upheld the rule of law. It helped it it upheld the standards of the Department of Justice and it undid what was an injustice. (laughs) So when they were called out for this, they sent out a tweet. You're correct. Earlier today, we inadvertently and inaccurately, this is responding to the Department of Justice, which said that was cheating. They said, you're correct. Earlier today, we inadvertently just, it just happened. One of those things, you know, we always make mistakes. Sometimes they're against the Republicans. Sometimes they're against the Republicans. Occasionally they're against the Republicans, but we always fix them. Earlier today, we inadvertently and inaccurately cut short a video clip of an interview with A.G. Barr before offering commentary and analysis. The remaining clip included important remarks from the Attorney General, that we missed and we regret the error. In other words, remarks that made it seem the exact opposite of what they made it seem. So when I was researching private, some of my private detective novels, these Weiss Bishop novels, which if you haven't read, you should, One of the things I found out about private detectives is they spend a lot of time. A lot of them work for lawyers. They're on retainer with lawyers. And what they do is they go out and they find lies that witnesses told. Right? They usually work for defense lawyers and they go out. And if you're going to testify, oh, I saw this guy shoot so-and-so, they go out and find a lie you told. Even if it's a small lie, like something on your resume, which almost everybody has lied on a resume, the private eyes will go and trace that down. And the, the defense attorney will come up and say, hey, you know, you said you saw this guy shot somebody, but didn't you lie on this resume? And you go like, yeah, well, I lied in the resume. And then they turn to the jury and they say, well, if you lied about that, how do we know you're not lying now? We're watching in real time. We're seeing in real time the lies of three years of the Trump administration exposed lies of three years. We listened to this garbage three years, that garbage in the Ukraine garbage. How are we supposed to react to them now, now that we know they lie? All right, let us pause for just a moment here to talk about Paint Your Life, which is an excellent gift. I know Mother's Day just passed, but there's you still have a mother, right? You can still give gifts. And it's, it's just a nice thing to have. They take a photograph, and an actual artist transforms the photograph into a painting, and it's really well done. I had one well. I had one done. It's in the office, in the studio, where I, one day i I'll, I hope to go back after I'm sure all you guys have gone back. Uh, but you get to choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect. They contact you and ask you how you like what they're doing and what do you think and what do you want. You go to PaintYourLife.com, send them a picture, any picture, you, your children, family, a special place, a pet, and or you can combine photos and they'll turn that into a painting. It's a meaningful, personal gift and it can be cherished forever. At PaintYourLife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. You can get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word Andrew to 64,000. That's Andrew to 64,000. Text Andrew to 64,000. Paint Your Life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. So this is a good time. We're going to talk, um, more about the the virus and reopening and all that stuff. But let's talk about when we're talking about the way the press sells stories. Let's talk about this story about this kid uh, who was shot in Georgia. Okay. Uh, Ahmad Arbery, I guess it's pronounced. Uh, and uh, he was a guy. These two guys said that they thought he was a burglary suspect. There's video of them uh, stopping him. He's running down the street. He looks like he's jogging. Uh, they stop him with guns because they think he's committed burglaries. And it goes they go off screen, but it looks like he's grabbed the gun and is struggling with him and they shoot him dead. Okay. Now, here's what I, you know, this uh, very interesting thing that you know, the press immediately, they try to paint the dead guy as a saint and he's a jogger and he's this and that. I don't know. I don't know the truth yet because it's it's very hard to get at the truth in these situations. And the people who are supporting the shooters are saying, well, no, he's a dishonest guy and he had a record and he's a burglary suspect. And they put out a video of him walking into a construction site. And my colleague, Matt Walsh, uh, said, that's ridiculous. Guys go on construction sites all the time. And I said, that is 100 percent correct. I, I do this all the time. I mean, I don't know what it is. It comes with testosterone. I see a construction site. I walk in and I look around. I do it all the time. And I, I know a lot of guys do it. In New York City, when they have fences in front of constructions, they have holes cut in the fences. And you can go down the street and there are guys with their faces stuck in the holes. Guys like looking at construction sites. So immediately, immediately. I got, got attacked. Walsh was really under fire, but I got attacked just for saying what I said, which was like, "Yeah, this is not proof of anything." And people, right wingers, are screaming at me, "Oh, the Daily Wire, your neoliberal Daily Wire people. You all have you all coordinate your ideas and your opinions, and this is the official opinion." Crap. If there's an, if there's an official opinion of the Daily Wire, no one's told me. I don't know anything about it. And if I didn't agree with it, I wouldn't say it. Okay, this is the thing. So I'm just telling you that that's not information. But here's here's the thing that really bothers me. Okay, there are two sides to this. One is there are about 45 murders a day in the United States of America. You tell a murder, a murder, a local murder story becomes national if if it has some if it represents something, an issue that we should be talking about, or it's just so elaborate and, you know, like spectacular, like the O.J. Simpson killing that we just want to find out about it. This is not that case. This doesn't. There's there's no spate of killings of black people by white people in this country. Black people are killed by other black people. That's the issue. If you want to talk about murder, the issue is the murder rate among black people by other black people. There's no movement to kill black people by white people. And all this tanahisi coat black bodies things. It's all nonsense because the facts show that it's nonsense. So the very fact that this is in the national news is immediately suspect as narrative. Okay, and I know that makes right wingers angry. I understand why that would make right-wingers angry. You're saying, why are we paying attention to this? Why aren't we paying attention to the fact uh, that uh, one of our producers, Austin Stevens, pointed out that in Georgia, where they opened up, they completely opened up, the uh, Chinese flu rate is going down. So they're locked in, being locked in place forever wasn't helping anything. So maybe they're distracting from that. So why, why are we listening to this? And right-wingers get angry. And they start saying things. I keep hearing, I hear people saying things like, hey, You know, if you walked onto a construction site without permission, you know, that's I mean, these are the same people who are telling you that if anybody tells you you can't go to the beach during a health crisis, the Constitution is on fire. But suddenly, if you walk into a a construction site, it's fine to shoot you. And then they say, well, if somebody points a gun at you, you don't fight. Listen. Here's the thing. I am a hundred percent supporter of the Second Amendment. I support stand your ground laws. I think Black Lives Matter is a scam that was promulgated by the Obama administration to slander the police and distract from the failures of the Obama administration. What the hell is the defense in this case? Right. I I mean, I'm I'm a strong supporter of the Second Amendment and self-defense. What's your defense? If every word these shooters says is true, they're still guilty. Right. If every word they say is true, we thought he was a burglar. He was a burglar. He fought with us over the gun. You're still guilty. I don't know if that's manslaughter or murder. I'm not I'm not uh, up on the law that much that I would know which of those things it is. You can't hunt somebody down with guns who committed a nonviolent crime in another area. That, that's not the way this works. So, well, it's a citizen's arrest. You can't make a citizen's arrest with guns for a nonviolent crime that happened in another area. Call the damn police. Whatever happened here. Listen, I'm just saying I'm just saying I don't think this is a story about American racism. I don't think it's a national story. I don't think it's any of those things. And all the. I'll, I'll show you some of the, the creation of narrative in real time, I'll show you the nonsense they do and i know we get angry about this but we're not going to become we're not going to become what they say we are just to fight with them right i mean we're not doing the race thing we're not going to become racist why because our philosophy is based on christianity whether you're a believer or not it's based on judeo christianity in which we know that men and women are made in the image of God, and therefore we don't hate them for the way they're made because we're looking at the image of God. So we don't do that, right? And so I don't want to hear about this demography, you know, it's demographics. This is garbage. I understand. I do understand why people get upset, but the, the right falls for this stuff all the time. They say X, so we say Y. They say black, so we say white. No, no. If you go after a guy with guns and he grabs the gun and you shoot him, that's on you. In no business. I don't care if this guy if this guy is in your home, burglar in your home and you shoot him. I would, you know, sure. What's he doing in your home? Right. But if three days ago he burgled somebody and you think this is the guy and even if it turns out you're right, because it might turn out you're wrong and you point a shotgun at him and, and you blow him away in the ensuing fight, that's on you. It's on you. There's n- there's no defense. I mean, I like I look there may be facts I don't know. Maybe maybe there was a gunfight. You know, you can't see everything that happened. But the way it looks, the way it looks, we should not be rushing to defend the shooters because I don't even, under- I personally, as a strong Second Amendment guy, as a strong anti-Black Lives Matter guy, I don't even understand what their defense is. So I just hate to see right-wingers sucked into this. And a lot of the right-wingers who are saying this, I go and check them out on Twitter. They've got zero followers. So clearly it's a false, uh, you know, it's, it's a false Twitter um, handle that they're using to just start this stuff for all we know. They're left-wingers just trying to make right-wingers look bad and get right-wingers into a fight. I don't know what's going on. And look, you, you listen to this stuff. I mean, here's the Atlanta mayor, Keisha Bottoms, said, bringing out her take on this. And you can watch the narrative being shaped in real time. This is Cut 16. With the rhetoric that we hear coming out of the White House in so many ways, I think that many who are prone to being racist Um, are given permission to do it in an an overt way that we otherwise would not see in 2020. Um, Because you have to remember, Jake, you know, in cities across this country, even if local leadership fails, there was always the backstop of our Justice Department to step in and make sure that people are appropriately prosecuted. But we don't have that leadership uh, at the top right now. So really... I mean, the minute this went to the state, the GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, the minute it went to the state law officials, it was 30 hours, 36 hours till these guys were arrested. OK, it got stuck in this kind of small town where everybody seemed to know everybody else and guys were accusing themselves because they would worked with these guys, you know, but the minute it went to the state. So if it's Trump's fault that this guy got shot, if it's Trump's fault that this guy got shot and the Black Lives Matter started under Obama, was it Obama's fault when people got shot then? You know, I mean, what, you know, where do the mayors of these little towns get off blaming? uh, Well, Atlanta's not a little town, but where do the mayors of these towns get off blaming Trump for everything that happens? Let me I'll I'll play. Do I have time to play? Yeah, I'll play one more. Cut 18. This is a Vanderbilt professor, uh, Jonathan Metzl. I would say that the bigger context here about the ways in which guns have been constructed as symbols of, of white, um, the kind of white privilege in a way, um, the ways in which uh, guns, particularly carrying guns in public like this, um, has been constructed as a, as a way of kind of showing a particular form of white authority, I think provides a lot of the context for a lot of these shootings that we're, that we're seeing, and particularly um, the, the, the Arbery shooting. If, if life were just, that guy would be hit in the face with a pie. You know, like soupy sales in the old days. Like, the life would just the guy would be talking, just be like blat, you know. I mean, just the pie would drip down, the cream would fall into his face, chocolate streaks across. I mean, look. When you hear this stuff, it is easy to lose your stuff. It is easy to get angry at people taking an obscure murder. There's lots of murders. It's a tragedy. I'm not saying it's not a tragedy. And I know to the people involved, it's a deep tragedy. But it doesn't say anything about America. It's not part of a movement. It's not part of a, a an, an issue that we have. It's part of something that only in, uh, was invented by the Obama administration to look back on lynching, which was a real thing to distract from their incompetence and you get angry, but don't get stupid. Okay. Because that's what they want you to do. All right. Let us uh, talk this. This is important. You got to listen to this we're pitching that you, uh, subscribe at the all access level. And you know, you get a lot of great stuff. If you get an all access insider membership, it's the premier level of membership. Uh, you get all the benefits of the other membership tiers, including an ad free website experience, access to all our live broadcasts. Uh, the Ben Shapiro show all three hours and some dedicated, uh, op-eds by Ben. Uh, you get to be on the, uh, you get the Leftist Tears tumbler. of course. I should always mention the Leftist Tears Tumblr. Uh, you know, you get all this stuff. You get to be in the mailbag. So they want you to go on and subscribe to this and get 10% off with coupon code Claven. They're, They're paying attention. <laughs> yes, that is how you spell Claven. K-L-A-V-A-N. If you're going to subscribe, you have to send the code CLAVEN. They're paying attention to how many people from each show go. If Knowles gets more subscribers... I'm coming to your house and I'm letting the air out of your tires. You have got to go on and subscribe with my name, K L A V A N. In fact, even if you weren't going to get an all access membership, go get an all access membership and use the code CLAVEN because otherwise, Knowles will get more than this show and you will be ashamed. And the shame will follow you for the rest of your life. I mean, you will come up in rooms and you'll see people talking to each other. You'll walk into a party and go, there's the guy who didn't subscribe with CLAVEN and let Knowles get. You know, you do not want that to happen. So go ahead and get an all access membership and make sure you say Clavin when you do it. Come on over to dailywire.com and subscribe. Here's another thing. And I don't mean to pick on right wingers because it's the left that's doing all the lying. Right. So I don't don't get me wrong. It is the left. It is the press that is doing all the lying. They have been lying for the entire Obama administration, the entire Trump administration. And before that, they were deeply, deeply slanted and biased. But now it's gotten out of control, I think, because they were just so mesmerized by Barack Obama that they just lost it completely. But they have lost all, you know, if they will lie about one thing, they'll lie about everything else. Every word that comes out of their mouth is to be distrusted now, including what they're saying about the virus. But the thing that we don't do is the right has gotten into the habit of outrage and the habit of, of negativity, and we pounce on things, and some of them are real. Like I've said, I don't believe that this these lockdowns have been a Systemic threat to our freedoms because it was a health emergency and nobody knew what was happening. We didn't know what this was going to look like. We still don't entirely know what it's looked like. Looks like, but now we know that the hospitals can take it. We can go back. They're moving. They keep moving the goalposts. Before it was, you know, flatten the curve so the hospitals aren't overwhelmed. And now suddenly it's like until every form of death is eradicated, we have to stay in our homes. And that's that's the press narrative. But places are opening, including California, including Illinois, left wing places to are opening. I didn't feel it was a systemic threat that there have been people like Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, like Bill de Blasio in New York, like uh, Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, who have overstepped, that there have been lunkheaded policemen who have done their jobs badly and wrongly uh, by arresting moms in parks and things like that. All of that is true. All of that is deserving of outrage. But again, does it represent a systemic threat? Is it the thing that we need to be talking about? One of the things I feel that we are not talking about, that we need to be talking about, is I feel we need to be celebrating what Donald Trump has done. And you know, there's a lot of people on the right who disagree with me. A lot of people on the left who disagree with me, but I I don't care. I mean, obviously everybody on the left disagrees with me. I don't care. The fact that Donald Trump has done this without Uh, expanding the federal government is one of the great triumphs of federalism and one of the great triumphs for conservatism. And the fact that conservatives aren't trumpeting it every single day, every single day shows you that conservatives do not know how to build a narrative. The thing is, when I say to you that the biggest, the most important point about a story is how you tell the story. I know this because I've been telling stories all my life, right? The most important thing is who tells it and how you tell it and whether you tell it. The fact that you tell the story makes a statement, right? The fact that you tell the story about a shooting uh, makes a statement. And that that statement may be false, right? When they were making movies about the war on terror they would make movies in which American soldiers would rape an Iraqi woman. It was called Redacted and make stories in the Valley of Elah, where an American soldier would come home from Iraq and just being in Iraq had driven him so insane, he became a killer. And people would say, well, you know, doesn't this make the military look bad? And every single time the filmmakers would say, well, it's based on a true story. And I would say, so what? You know, so what? So it's based on a true story. What is the true story saying? What is the true story telling us? Right? Because When you send that many people into war, of something like 200,000 people going to war, that's a small city. There's going to be some bad guys in a small city, in any small city, right? So there's going to be some bad soldiers that one of them rapes somebody. Is not talking about, is not telling you anything about that war. It's not telling you anything about that effort. It's not telling you about why they're fighting, which is because they're fighting a group of people, Islamists, who have a very small-minded, hateful, bigoted, evil ideology, and they don't want that ideology to spread. You may be against that war, but it isn't a rape. It's not represented by a rape. So the, the fact that they're telling the story is, is the lie. And that's the thing, that's the thing here, you know, that Trump, we should, be, we should be making sure. Here's something Obama said, since we're talking about liars. This is cut 13. Here's something Obama said about Trump's uh, anti-virus efforts. It has been an absolute chaotic disaster, uh, when that, uh, mindset of what's in it for me, uh, and to heck with everybody else, when that mindset is operationalized, uh, in our government. And this was, is part of like Melinda Gates came out and said, you know, this, we need a coordinated effort. And my feeling is no, no, we don't, you know? there are things that can be coordinated. There are things that uh, Trump has coordinated to make sure the states can get things. But at one point he said, remember, he said if you want to get something, go to the source. Don't wait for us to get it to you because it'll be faster. And everybody said, oh, where's the leadership? Where's the leadership? We should be celebrating the federalism in Trump's approach, and we're not. And that that means we leave the guy out there alone. Because he is a politician. He does want to be loved. He does have that thing that all politicians have that he wants, the praise. And all he's hearing from the left and the right is, oh, it's Chaos. Where's the coordination? That's the the states can't do this. Well, screw that. You know, we should be. This is a major triumph. We should also be reminding people all the time and saying this on on our social media and telling people this that he was right about China. Nobody was talking about China until he started. Now the New York Times and other outlets are defending China. You give me a break. Give me a break. And they keep saying he's spreading the false narrative that this was a man-made virus. No, he's not. He's saying it came out of the, it may have come out of the Wuhan lab. He didn't say it was made there. He said it may have just escaped as they were studying it. He was right about the borders. He was right about how important it is to uh, to seal the borders so people aren't wandering in and out bringing God knows what disease from God knows where. He was right about that. He was right about globalism because now that we see what China is, we understand it's not just an economic entity. It's not uh, Macy's fighting with gimbals. It's not two department stores fighting. It's the good guys Fighting the bad guys, we're the good guys, and I know. Believe me, I know we're flawed, but we're still the good guys. Good guys are flawed, but we're still the guys who are standing for this. So he was right about all this stuff, and we are not celebrating that about him. Did he make mistakes? Yeah. Was he slow off the dime? Maybe. I don't know. That's 2020 hindsight. But but that's not the point. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody, and in a major disaster, everybody makes major mistakes. FDR made mistakes by leaving our navy out there where it could get bombed in Pearl Harbor. That's not the point. The point is. Is he doing the right thing? And do we come out of this better than we went in? And I think because of his federalism, we do. And that's the thing. We do not sell our narrative. So now here he is saying we should reopen. And this is cut six. What we've done has been incredible. Uh, we're going to continue to do it. We go, we're going into transition. And I call it transition to greatness. It's going to be transition to greatness. Because we're going to do something very fast and we're going to have a phenomenal year next year. Third quarter transition, fourth quarter is going to be good. This tremendous pent up demand and next year we're going to have a phenomenal year. OK, so that's Trump speaking to the troops, namely us. We're going to come back. We're going to bring this economy back. I know we took a hit. Now, just to be fair, let's hear Biden's approach as well. Here's Joe Biden uh, talking about it. Cut 10. Please welcome Vice President Joe Biden. Me. I'm Donald Trump and I approve this message. <laughs> Joe Biden's rally his his uh, video rally uh, that he did. That, that clip, by the way, has been taken down by the Biden. We we stole real clear politics, put it up on a tweet. So we got it off there because they took it down because <laughs> they don't want you to see Joe Biden. If that were Barack Obama saying that we're going to have a transition to greatness. Right. I mean the tears Brian Stelter would just be sobbing the tears you know I mean he he'd have to take his he'd have to take his blouse and uh, his skirt and you know dab the tears off his eyes he would be oh the courage the courage <laughs> the inspiration the beauty you know <laughs> <laughs> again again I know I'm I'm picking on woman, it's not right but like still <laughs> I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying because we know that it's all a lie. We know that it's all a lie. We need to tell the, the other side. We need to tell the other story. I like again. You know, is, is Trump perfect? Can you know? Whenever you say, "Gee, I actually think Trump has done the right thing here," they always say, "Well, he said this," and he does. He says sometimes he says things he shouldn't say. Nine times out of ten. He didn't say the thing that he shouldn't say, but they're telling you he did. But still, he makes and he makes mistakes because he's a human being and all this stuff. And we're in a very it's in a very uh, difficult to navigate place. And all the loudmouths who think they would have done better, just loudmouths, they wouldn't have done any better. You know, it's not that. But basically, he has done the important thing, which he has kept the government. He has let this crisis go to waste. He has let this crisis go to waste and we should be celebrating it. And, you know, in terms of the, the, the economy coming back, listen, I, I, it's going to be tough. Even Trump, when you, if you listen to what he said, he said the, the fourth quarter will start to come back. We're going to have a bad third quarter. The fourth quarter will start to come back. It's going to be next year. And you can say, well, you know, that's after the election. It's going to be tough. It is going to be tough, but it's not going to be as bad, I think. I, I, look, I'm not an economist, but I'll tell you, it, it's not like the Depression. The numbers are as bad as the depression, but they didn't happen over a long period of time. They're not dealing with an expanded uh, federal government and all these new programs that kept the depression going on forever. So I don't know. I think we have a good chance of coming back. Who do you want out there? Do you want transition to greatness or do you want, am I on? Was I introduced? Where am I? <laughs> Those are your choices. And I think they may be the choices. You got to make the right one, but we should be standing up. We got we to create a narrative of, of our own, not just. Take theirs down. All right, a final reflection. I got to tell you about this because, uh, you know, it's really interesting. I, I was watching, I, I like these comedy shows, especially when I'm working out. I'll watch the stand up comedy on Netflix. And I watched this guy, Pete Davidson, a while back. This is a while back. And I didn't know anything about Pete Davidson except that he was in that thing that, uh, you know, fluff up with uh, Dan Crenshaw. And I knew that his dad died on 9 uh, 11 and, uh, you know, a couple of vague things. But I started watching him and I didn't think he was very funny. Um, but I was watching him. And I thought, oh, this guy's mentally ill. He, he's, he has a mental problem, which turns out to be the case. He has, he says, a personality disorder, which is a very serious um, mental condition. So he's not hiding it or anything like that. But I didn't know about it. And I knew it from watching his comedy. And the way I knew from watching his comedy was the way he talked about his body, the bodies. Uh, And the way he's mostly obviously talking about sex, but it was just talking about this body as his body as if it were a series of parts. uh, And it was somehow just hilarious, like a two year old to look at the different parts of it, of course, but they were the the. Uh, hidden parts. So that made it funny. And, and and that's a very childlike thing to do. But it's also what mentally ill people do, right? As you grow up and you become a sane person, you understand that your body is a, an expression of yourself and you hold yourself differently. And you think of things differently. And you think of sex differently. You think of uh, all all these things differently. It's not that the body can't be funny. It's not that f- funny things don't happen during sex, in the bathroom, all that stuff. It's just that this way of talking about it uh, is, is actually demented. Now, Almost all the comedians I watch now are doing it, and I think it comes from a routine that Robin Williams did shortly before he killed himself. Well, yeah, shortly before, within a year, I would say, he killed himself, where he did a very detailed uh, talk about sex, and it was very, very detailed about the parts of sex and what this looks like and how this is done and all this, and it was very, very um, blue, you know, But, but I have to tell you, it was hilarious. I mean, I I literally fell off the sofa watching it. It, w- it was that funny. And now all the comedians do it. And what the thing about it is, is it was an expression of, of Robin Williams' mental illness too. Now, Williams had a real comic flair. He really knew how to take his mental illness and make it funny and God bless him. But I don't think all of us have to descend into this mental illness where our body becomes this kind of alien thing. It's not that funny. You have gotta be Robin Williams to make that funny, okay? So I'm not afraid to laugh at it. I'm just saying when I listen to all these people doing the same routine about sex. So then Jerry Seinfeld has uh, this thing on. It's called 23 Hours to Kill. And uh uh, it's about an hour and a half. It's on Netflix and I watched it. And I'm not going to tell you that I laughed uproariously, but it was genuinely fun to watch. And it was genuinely insightful and different. And it was filled with observations. And it's not the fact that he doesn't curse because, you know, he curses sometimes. It's not, it's not the fact that he doesn't curse. It's the fact that he doesn't have to curse to get the laugh. He knows that what he's saying is interesting and funny. I'll play just a little bit of it. Uh, this is cut 11. He's talking about everybody tells you to go to the buffet. We were in Vegas a couple of months ago, and there everybody goes, Jerry, you gotta go to the buffet. They got the buffet. Oh, come on, you can get whatever you want at the buffet. What is the idea of the buffet? Well, things are bad. How could we make it worse? Why don't we put people that are already struggling with portion control? Into some kind of debauched Caligula food orgy of unlimited human consumption. (laughs) He says it's like sending your dog into Petco to get as much food as he thinks he needs. And, you know, the thing about it is, as I said, I, I wasn't crying with laughter, but I was definitely entertained the entire time. And he actually said things that made me look at things just a little bit skewed and a little bit different. It was real Observational comedy and really sharp and really intelligent. And you know, I think that that some of these comics need to address this in themselves because some of them are naturally talented. But you can't just do that one routine over and over again. It is a sign of sickness. It's a sign of sickness in our society if we start to think of our bodies that way. And and again, I'm not objecting to it when it's done brilliantly. But I found that used to find this with Louis C.K. I used to find Louis C.K.'s non his observational comedy. Gut-bustingly hilarious, and his sex, you know, uh, comedy just kind of okay. And again, it. Just by the fact that when I listened to Robin Williams, he killed me because he was that funny about it. It's just not always that funny. You got to actually have that point of view. So I don't know. It's just it really is a sign of something ugly. I think in, in people of the, a, a younger generation than mine uh, that something has gone really wrong with the way they're looking at their bodies. And I don't know if these guys represent it or they're just outliers. I really don't. But when you see it, you got to think to yourself. Now you know this, I'm not listening to a sane person, which is important. And I'll talk about that more another time. But I got to stop here. Um and. Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. I'll see you tomorrow. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saevitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jessela Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production Copyright Daily Wire, 2020. A killing in Georgia has Americans at each other's throats on race, guns, and criminal justice. But while the left gins up a fake race narrative and riles everyone up over a very sad local story, a major national political scandal implicating the highest levels of the Obama administration goes uncovered. How convenient is that? Then CBS gets caught lying about coronavirus. NBC gets caught lying about Attorney General Barr. And a reopened Georgia disproves the COVID profits of doom and gloom. All that and more, check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.